You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. Welcome back. I'm joined in the studio today with Reverend Dr. Esther Jadov. Esther is the Associate Vice President for Intercultural Affairs and Spiritual Development. So I know that recently, Esther, the spiritual development piece was added to your title. Can you talk about what you do here at Asbury and what that new edition is about? Sure. As recent as probably March and April, uh, Dr. Brown and I were talking about ways in which we can provide a space for faculty and staff um, to receive spiritual encouragement, spiritual exhortation. And so a start of August is when Dr. Brown invited me to step into helping our faculty and staff with the spiritual development component. And I think in these early days of trying to understand how best we provide for our faculty and staff, Dr. Brown and I talked about creating two opportunities for worship for faculty and staff to come together. So we will have two in the fall and two in the spring. That's great. Was that a response to the outpouring or was that just sort of a general need that you all had identified before February? My sense is that perhaps it was a lingering thought in Dr. Brown's mind, perhaps, but I do think that the outpouring probably aided in bringing some of this to realization that our students had such a powerful encounter, for many of them, a powerful experience during the outpouring. And so how do we extend that invitation to our faculty and staff? Because oftentimes, we who work here are so taken up with the lives of our students and there's very little that really feeds our souls. And while each of us, you know, have our places of worship, what can we do here in the Asbury University community? Yeah, well, it's that analogy that you can't pour from an empty cup. And I I know that even in faith-based settings that that can happen, you know, your cup can be empty. So I love that you and Dr. Brown have identified that need and that you're filling that. And I have seen those invitations for the, you know, special worship events and things like that. So I look forward to seeing where that goes. So this week we have the sixth Embrace Conference. And so can you talk a little bit about the Embrace Conference and how that started? Sure. You know, Biola University has a conference on their campus, and I believe that perhaps there's been a shifting that's occurring in how it's offered. But Biola hosted SCORE for many years. I believe they've just recently celebrated the 25th year of uh, the SCORE conference. And so one of our colleagues in the early days said, you know, Biola has this event. Perhaps Asbury could consider something similar for our region. 
Yeah. And for people who don't know, the Embrace Conference focuses on racial reconciliation and justice through a Wesleyan theological understanding. We're a school founded in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. And so each year it's sponsored by the Office of Intercultural Affairs, which you worked in for a period of time. That's that right. And okay. I still do with okay. Dr. Brown. So, you know, yeah. holding the intercultural affairs and spiritual development. Yes. Component. And so really it's an opportunity for students, faculty and staff and members of the community are welcome to come together and learn from scholars and practitioners in this field. And you've had some great speakers over the years. I've, had, I've only been here a couple of years, but the ones I've heard have been great. And this year you have Dr. John Inazu. Let's talk a little bit about some of those themes that you explore in the Embrace Conference and as well as in your role. So how do you think your faith informs or shapes your understanding of culture? You talk a lot about these themes at the Embrace Conference. Yeah. And I think in general, even as members of a Christian higher ed context, I think that faith and culture are such significant components and so critical for us to understand. You know, what is faith, what is culture, and how do those two intertwine for persons who are believers that profess faith in Jesus Christ? And so I think personally for me, if I may just begin from that perspective, you know, how does my faith inform or shape my understanding of culture? I think I'd have to sort of pull back from my early days of growing up in Mumbai, India, and how in that pluralistic context, my faith really was a pivotal lens in making sense of my lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in our United States, where Christianity was the lens for a long time. And now with the shifting dynamics in our culture, where we are increasingly seeing a diversity of many kinds. Yeah, you can't just assume a Christian worldview anymore in the States like you probably could until fairly recently, I would guess. It seems like it's always probably been there, but it is becoming more prominent or visible in the recent uh, decades, if you would. Because even for me, as an insider and outsider, I can you know, point to times when talking about the faith felt different or looked different than talking about the faith in our more recent times. Mm -hmm. And so going back to my upbringing in Mumbai, I had the opportunity to learn and understand the place of my faith in the multiplicity, the plurality. Because in India, if you know the context, there is so much diversity of every kind, from lingual to food to mm -hmm. customs. And so having grown up in that context gives me the perspective of recognizing that perhaps in our United States, we are now seeing more of the diversity be visible. And so how do we navigate and negotiate these realities? Yeah. And so you had asked, Abby, the question about the Embrace Conference and how we want to bring more understanding and awareness of the matters of faith and the matters of culture because they're so intertwined and oftentimes because of the complexity of both. I was actually reflecting on this. Faith is complex, mm. and so is culture. Mm -hmm. And so the complexity of both takes a lot of effort to parse and understand the purpose of each yeah. and the place of each. So were you raised Christian? Yes, I was. Okay. 
Yeah, my parents served the Methodist Church in India oh, for okay. almost 50 years. So even that must have been quite an interesting experience. <laughs> Extremely, because I grew up with best friends who were Muslims right. and Hindus yeah. and Buddhists and Catholics. Mm-hmm. So very early on, Christianity was one of the many religions mm-hmm. that I you know, grew yeah. up around. And so. the way that Christianity is practiced in the East versus the West even is different. So, yes. Yeah. How yes. long have you been in the States? I have been in our United States now, I believe, for 25 okay. years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's and been that, a long time. Yeah. How did yeah. you end up coming over here? You know, I felt a call to travel, teach, and preach mm-hmm. at a very early age. And not knowing what that meant, found myself at a point in my journey needing to pursue seminary education mm-hmm. because in order to be teaching and preaching, ordination of some kind was on my heart. And so I was accepted by Asbury Theological Seminary in 1999. And so that's when I first came. Awesome. How long have you been at Asbury University? Asbury University, the journey began sort of when I was doing my graduate work. So that was fall of 2002. Okay. But I came to full-time work 2004. Wow, so you've been here a long time, longer than most, certainly longer than me. (laughs) What kind of growth or change have you seen here at Asbury in that time? Yeah, I think I've seen a significant growth. And as I mentioned, that I came as a graduate student doing an internship back then in the multicultural office. And so our demographics indicated that we were at about 4% or under with our intercultural diversity. And now in 2023, we're almost at 20% Wow! intercultural diversity. So there's been a significant growth, Abby. And, you know, thanks to many different initiatives that have allowed for that and the investment of so many across our community, a commitment to being genuinely an intercultural community and best communicated in the words of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that every tongue and tribe and nation in the throne room of God. Yeah. Well, and there's so much that we can all learn from each other in that way. So how does culture inform or shape your faith? I think that culture is such a cool thing, and I could talk about it for days because that is my doctoral journey, is just trying to understand culture and the place that it has in our faith. So I think for me, I'll go back again to growing up in Mumbai, that I was able to glean so much from the richness of culture. There was a variety of value systems. There was a variety of belief systems. There was a variety of just practices. In the recent years, I have come to appreciate the terms orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And Orthodoxy is what we believe, and orthopraxy is how we execute our practice. And so I think that understanding culture as a context of people that are participants of a particular community, it's so important to gain our elementary understanding from the things that people do. It gives us some clue into what the beliefs, what the values, what the priorities might be. Well, yeah, and there's divisiveness that can happen because, you know, we're in a fallen world. So obviously it's never going to be perfect. So how do Christians live faithfully in this world of difference? 
That is such a great question, and I am looking forward to actually having Dr. John Inazu, who authored the book Uncommon Ground with Reverend Timothy Keller. Oh, yeah. I am so excited because John has done some important work in this area in helping us both have language, but to also bring awareness and recognition that we are living in difficult times where we see things differently. And so how do we still come together to have a productive outcome? You know, when I was doing my dissertation, Abby, I was looking around for the definition of what is CQ, right? CQ, cultural intelligence. And at the basic level, CQ is the skill set to work across differences. So when your faith is one of the many, how do you still engage with each other in society to create a productive outcome for those that are members? And I think we can look at examples both biblically but also in our social realm. Biblically, I think as far as I can glean, the practice that I have observed exemplified in and through Jesus' life is really recognizing people for where they are. Jesus Christ never compromised who he was and what he believed, both in his humanity and his divinity. And that's the beauty of Jesus, that he was both human and divine. You know, we get to do this work in a little bit more of a challenging way because (laughs) we're so much more human. (laughs) And like you said, you know, fallen and have so many challenges that are not easy to navigate And so we have a lot of malfunction. And I want to borrow that word from Miroslav Wolf. Dr. Wolf wrote an incredible book, The End of Memory, Remembering Rightly in a Violent World. And Dr. Wolf brings awareness to the malfunctions of our faith, that how in trying to understand what the biblical text is asking of us, there are mistakes. we need to work at having less of those malfunction moments in the practice of our faith. And so how do we understand culture and how do we understand faith occurs in both of those spaces through the life of Christ. And I have increasingly become aware of the fact that, you know, Jesus never went around necessarily calling people out. (laughs) But when people came to him, he gave them life. Yeah. Well, and he asked them, do you want to get well? That's <laughs> you know? right. And so I have been acutely observing that practice of Jesus's lived ministry and what that can teach us. And then I think in our social context, you know, we have examples of people that have lived extraordinary lives And I'm thinking of Mother Teresa, I'm thinking about Nelson Mandela, I'm thinking about Mahatma Gandhi, you know, and just these people who stood on the foundations of what they believed and brought the best to the world. They met the needs of the world in such powerful ways. And I think that the one word that probably epitomizes the lives of these individuals is they just lived with such conviction and integrity. They wanted to do something good, not at the risk of outcasting others, but more at the risk of losing life, but inviting many into the inner space. 
Yeah, I love that challenge to live with conviction and just to live differently. That's something that we all struggle with. You know, every day there's a temptation. So I think, you know, with Jesus as our ultimate example, how would you describe the way that he lived with those who were different from him? I think Jesus's life exemplified genuine love for others. Jesus's life also exemplified ultimate obedience to the will of God. And so taking love and ultimate obedience causes me to think that someone who lives with these two dynamics is always going to try and find a way to honor God and to love and respect others. And so, again, I ask this of myself every day because I live at the intersection of faith, of academia, of society, and I'm constantly asking, how can I bring the truth of the gospel to bear in such a way that it continues to invite others, but also meets the significant needs of our broken world? And again, I think in Jesus's life, when you ask me the question, my mind immediately thought about the person on the cross with him. And even in that last breath, the love that Jesus exemplifies in saying to the sinner who for right reasons was on that cross, unlike himself, (laughs) right? And Jesus says to him, you will be with me in paradise. So I think what I am processing and delving in these days is that there is a both and. I think there is an ask of us. For those of us that follow Jesus Christ, there is an ask. And I think this started to emerge more in my mind when I was looking at example after example in the New Testament, even the woman who was found to be caught in the act of adultery and everyone wanting to stone her And just the way Jesus exemplifies grace, love, and forgiveness in that moment was, you know, what wisdom, right? To turn around to the crowd and say, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And just to become persons that have that level of wisdom and understanding that allows us to break some of these boundaries yeah, well, and just conviction, you know, he's like, he called them out, you know, so how many he times did. does he do that to us in our own lives? <laughs> yeah, and I, the reason I brought that particular narrative up, you know, that's from John, and I think that, you know, Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. like he didn't set her mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. or did not give her that moment right. of dignity and respect in the eyes of those that thought they were right just to help her feel good. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) But the greater invitation of go and sin no more. Yeah. Abby, Mm -hmm. that compels me Mm -hmm. at so many levels and just makes me want to pursue, like, what is this heart of God? Yeah, I think that's a common theme that we're seeing now. It's, you know, with this whole era of, like, my truth and your truth, it's like, well, Jesus still calls us to be better and not follow our truth like his truth go sin no more you know it it doesn't mean that oh we're forgiven so we just get to go 
living our best selves. It's like, well, no, there's a lot of conviction that also comes with that. And I think sometimes that piece of that story gets forgotten. <laughs> and that's that's what I'm realizing. Yeah. It's like, let's tell the full story. Yeah. And, you know, similar, I think I'm reminded of Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, in his encounter with Jesus, if we read the entire narrative, we will discover that when he realizes that he was in the wrong, he actually offers to give mm-hmm. a double portion, if right. not more, right. to those that he had taken yeah. wrongly from. Yeah. So that would be. So there's a response. The proper response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along this theme of you know working with people who are different, that will never be easy for humans. You know something about our nature. It's and you see it everywhere. You see it in you know even the algorithms and social media. You know they're created in such a way that it reinforces everything you already believe, and then therefore you think less of the people who you don't agree with. You know, like everything in society is like drive a wedge, drive a wedge, drive a wedge. So how can you work with people in groups with different beliefs than yours to achieve a common goal? I think there has to be a readiness to not only identify the common goal, but I think a willingness to recognize that there will be a multiplicity of approaches to achieving that common goal. And so I think that willingness has to be there in the human heart. Mm -hmm. Like, am I willing to accept that someone else may also have an approach, a practice that will bring benefit to the larger society for the larger good? And so I think going back to my early days in Mumbai, you know, how did I see this practice? And I think our teachers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my middle school and high school days and just remembering that my teachers in that setting allowed all of us to bring all of who we were to the table and recognizing that we were all different and different is not wrong. And I think that's another piece that we need to unpack and wrestle with as a culture and as God's people, whichever place we find ourselves in this narrative, is different is not wrong. Can different bring something good to our lives? So we need to focus on the right things. I was recently talking with a colleague and I said, I think we need to problematize the right things. (laughs) I don't know that we're problematizing the right things because It seems to be that oftentimes the focus is on making the person the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So if the problem is to fix a particular issue, then let's not focus immediately and largely on the person creating the issue, but let's look at the issue and find out if there's a way for us Mm -hmm. to resolve it and then address if the person has had a part in it, right. then address that component. Yeah, look at the problem first. Well, in closing, Esther, is there anything that you want to share with people about the conference? I think that it'll be very important for us to engage Dr. John Inazu, especially with his background and work in political you know, arenas and helping faith-based communities to wrestle with this question of There are genuine differences, so how do we come together and work together? So I would love to welcome each and every person that has the opportunity to come on November 7th and 8th 
and participate in the sessions that are being made available. In closing, I find myself just thinking that we need to become persons who are increasingly growing in our discernment. Like I was even asking God this morning in my own time of prayer and reflection, like, God, can you please grow the capacities in me that help me best discern what is yours? <laughs> because what is yours is good, and it's good for all of us. So how do we come under it is the question, because I think it takes a level of humility to recognize that I am not the ultimate. Right. So how do we come to that place of recognizing that our place is in relationship to who God is. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu. 